Hey, Crossroads, so good to have you with us through our online campus. And let me just say a big happy Mother's Day to all our moms and grandmothers out there. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. We are grateful for you. I know in my own life, I am who I am today because of a great godly praying mother. I would not be here if it wasn't for her. I'm so thankful for her. And so we celebrate you moms. But I also want to remind us, I know that Mother's Day is a bit of a mixed bag for people because for some, their moms aren't around anymore. Or for others, maybe you desire to be a mom and you're not able to be a mom. And, and so there's a bit of, of, of hesitation and even mourning on a day like today. And I just want to encourage you. Uh, we th- we're thankful for all the ladies that are a part of Crossroads Church. You know, motherhood is not merely biological. Motherhood is a gift given to women by God to be a nurturer and a leader for us. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have biological children, you are still a mother. God made you a nurturing being, and as a church, you are a mother to us. And so here's what I want you to do. Would you just take the hashtag that we've been using throughout our time online, hashtag Crossroads at Home, and would you take a picture of the lady in your life, your mom, your grandmother, your wife, T- take a picture and just say, hashtag Crossroads at Home, we're thankful for the ladies that represent Crossroads Church. We would not be a church without you. And so we're thankful for you. Hashtag Crossroads at Home, at Crossroads Wired. We love to see those pictures of mom and of your ladies. Uh, by the way, we are in the midst of our community's launch. We're launching this weekend. We have small groups available online. We have over 50 small groups, great leaders, great studies. Make sure you go online or onto our app and sign up to be a part of a community at Crossroads. We're going to start all of them through online, and then we'll move as we see fit to be able to gather together. So sign up, be a part of a small group. It is one of our core values that we are a church connected in community, and so we want you to be connected. You probably have seen, if you haven't already, uh, we do have our reopening plan. We have set a date uh, based upon the experts' opinions, and I I know I talked to a few different doctors and medical professionals, and we feel pretty confident uh, that we're going to be able to open on Sunday, June 7th. Now, there are many changes that we have made. We have on our website and on our app a what I'm calling a fact sheet to give you some information about our reopening plan. If you didn't receive that email or, or maybe uh, you're not connected to us quite yet, take a look on our website. There's a reopening plan there. We have a lot of information about what we're going to be doing to taking the precautions that keep you safe in the midst of this journey. Uh, things like we're cutting our capacity by 50%. Uh, we're, we're using six-foot distancing for the social distancing distancing rules. Uh, We'll be making sure to wipe down every touch point, every toy. Um, And so we've got this plan in place and we feel pretty confident about it on June 7th. We realize that we're not going to be able to please everybody with this plan. Uh, We know that some of you are are at health risk. By the way, I know for me, I got to be sensitive having an autoimmune issue. And so uh, we're going to be cautious and careful and we will always be providing our online campus for you. And so we're gonna keep that online campus experience available for anybody that doesn't feel comfortable to come. We are planning to spread our services out a little bit more at Park Avenue, specifically for size. And so in order to accommodate every single person and guest, uh, we have spread our services over five services on Sunday. And so this is our new service times for our reopening on June 7th. Uh, We're gonna have Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 
5 p.m. and 7 p.m. And so uh, we're thankful for that. We're moving our Saturday night services to Sunday night. That's going to help our team be able to, to kind of get through that weekend and uh, make it a little, bit, a little bit easier for us to get through that many services as well as still offer an evening services for those that work on Sunday. And you'll be able to come at 5 or 7 p.m. So we're thankful again, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 5 p.m. on Sunday, 7 p.m. on Sunday. And we're looking forward to those services. We are asking you to reserve your service the one that you want to be a part of. In fact, that will launch on May 15th, Friday, May 15th. We will open that reservation up and you can choose the service that you want to come to. Make sure you, re you reserve your spot and your child's spots if you have children. Uh, again, we have 50% capacity and so we're going to keep that rule and keep social distancing. Uh, we'll have have a mask available, a lot of hand sanitizer, uh, and we'll walk you through that. All of our volunteers will be using PPP, PPE, and, and those type of things to make sure that we're following all the protocol to be the safest we can. Uh, by waiting till June 7th, it gives us some time to see what's happening. It seems like things are beginning to open up. Uh, we feel pretty confident that by then uh, we should be able to meet together. So we're excited about that. Check out the fact sheet on our website or our app. If you would, take your Bibles out with me and turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. As always, if you're in your home and you don't have a Bible, would you just mention to the host right now, hey, I, don't, I need a Bible, and we will make sure to send you one. We want to make sure you have a Bible in your home. God has revealed himself through his word. Matthew chapter 24. We are in a series called Hashtag Asking for a Friend. The, the questions we want to ask, but we're too afraid to ask. And so we've been looking at some different topics. Can we lose our salvation? Uh, can we disagree with somebody and still love them? We've been talking about these different topics. And today I want to I talk about a very interesting topic. It's one that I get quite often. And that is this, especially in a season like this. Is this the end of the world? Hashtag asking for a friend. Is this the end of the world? Now, I want to be honest with you. I get that question quite often. In my years of ministry of serving as a pastor, this is one of the questions I get most often. Is the end of the world near? Is God coming back? Now, I don't think there's any accident, by the way, that we're having this message on Mother's Day. Be encouraged, Mom. Uh, the end of the world is near. Uh, you know, I, I think about this in life. This is a question we all ask. And it's a little bit funny that it happens to be on Mother's Day that we're going to answer this question. And moms, maybe you feel like it's time to end this coronavirus. Uh, and maybe you feel like it's the end of the world. I want to confess two things before we dive in. First of all, I want to confess to you that there are volumes written about the end times. And we're not going to be able to solve it over the next 30 to 40 minutes. And so I want to confess that to you. Secondly, I want you to realize that in spite of not being able to answer everything, it does not mean that we trivialize or minimize the impact and truth of this doctrine that we call eschatology, the end times, the study of the end times. No, this question is worthy of study because it's vital to the gospel message. What do I mean? See, many of us, when we think of the gospel, we think of the gospel as Christ crucified, buried, risen, ascended. But the gospel actually goes a little bit further. As you read the scriptures, the gospel isn't just Christ dying on the cross, 
put in the ground, rose again, ascended into heaven. It is that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he's coming again. You can't miss this. This is integral to the gospel message. This is vital to the message of God's consummation of his redemptive plan. The danger is, for many of us, we grow fascinated with this topic in seasons like this. In seasons where there's natural disasters, where there's situations we don't expect, when we get the news and it doesn't seem to be going well around the world, when a virus takes over, we can not only fascinate, but we can become obsessed with the topic of the end times. Curiosity begins to rise. Now that's not bad, as we're going to see in a moment, but it is a bit dangerous. You know, I remember when Alice and I first started dating, and uh, we would go hang out at her parents. I was in the dorms at Washington Bible College in Washington, D.C., and, and uh, it was awesome to be able to go to her parents' house and get a home-cooked meal and hang out with her and the family. And as we were dating, we would sit out in the backyard, and her parents had this hammock swing. And so we would together sit in the hammock swing, and uh, we would sometimes have a Frosty from Wendy's, or we'd have a cold drink, and we'd just sit there, and, and of course, arm in arm, and kind of whispering poetry to each other and, and just looking at each other's eyes and just telling each other how much we love each other and, and can't wait to spend the rest of our lives together. But every once in a while, we would look up into the sky and it would be a, a day where these puffy white clouds would be kind of streaming across the sky. And we would play this little game where we would say, what do you see? And we would look at these clouds and we would see something. And we would describe to each other what we see in the clouds. One moment, it looks like a unicorn. Next moment, it looks like an elephant. The next moment, it looks like a man's face. And then we would talk about why we see it. And, and often we were very different in what we saw in the clouds. She would see something and I would be like, no way, I, I don't even see that. It, it looks like this. And she, I would see something and she would say, no, it's that, you know, I don't even see that. That doesn't make sense. And often, that is exactly how we approach the end times. We approach it as if we're looking to the sky and trying to determine what the cloud is saying. And slowly we begin to try to make predictions. Uh, by the way, Facebook just came out with a statement that said there have been uh, more, uh, some would say conspiracy theories, but more thoughts about the end times mentioned or shared in this past month than in the last two years. Uh, you can go back to 2012, right? There was a prediction made by a guy named Harold Camping who predicted the end of the world. There was uh, the, the Mayan calendar that came out. There was Nostradamus who, who predicted doomsday predictions. There were blood moons that continually happen throughout cycles and they are important and certainly may be a part of the end times. But, but we fascinate and then we obsess and we begin to talk about it. And so Facebook has all of these complicated theories that have been shared over the last month. Things like Bill Gates is the Antichrist and through vaccines they're going to take over the world and could it be the mark of the beast? And all of a sudden we begin to reinterpret life by kind of looking at the clouds that we see. The struggle is all these attempts are in vain. All these attempts don't work. Let me tell you why. 
I'm not saying that they can't be signs or they can't be true. By the way, I remember September 11th. Everybody thought it was the end. I remember in 1994, there was a book written. I went to prom and uh, they said at, the, at, at this certain date in 1994, it was going to be the end of the world. And at midnight, all of the teenagers at the prom uh, started, started playing a song that says, I'm still alive. You know, we've been doing this for centuries, trying to understand. But here's the problem. When the infinite you and I, the finite, try to understand the infinite God, you and I are finite, God's infinite, it leaves us dizzy. When the finite try to understand the infinite, it leaves us a little dizzy, a little cloudy. What's great is the Bible doesn't leave us without answers, but it answers it differently than we would expect. It is a question the Bible deals with quite often. In fact, as you read through the Bible, you find that over, over 1,800 references to the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, that are found in the Old Testament. You find 300, over 300 references to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament. Let me just give you a statistic. That means that one in every 30 verse mentions, mentions something about the end of the world or the second coming of Christ. For every statement that we find about Jesus' first coming in Bethlehem as a baby to die on that cross and rise again, we find about eight about the second coming. The Bible talks about this topic, but it talks about it differently than we would expect. It gives us some details, but not many of them. I want to look at one of those moments. One of those moments here in Matthew chapter 24, this is what is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives. Now let me explain kind of the context. Matthew, this is the fifth collection of teaching that Matthew writes about. Matthew, one of the disciples. One of the ones that followed Jesus. He was a first-hand eyewitness of the account of Jesus. And this is the fifth and final official public teaching of Jesus. He will teach the disciples in the upper room. But this is his last official public address before he goes to the cross. This is the beginning of the end of his earthly ministry. This is the conclusion of his, of his teaching ministry, if you will. And as they're going by, there's a moment where he casts out the, the, the thieves in the temple. And now he's... He's upset the religious crowd, and so Jesus is on his way out of Jerusalem, and then he'll come back to Jerusalem on his triumphal entry. So they're leaving Jerusalem, and there's a conversation that comes up with the disciples about the temple. This magnificent, beautiful structure. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 2, says, you see this? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left. It's going to be knocked down. It's going to be demolished. You could imagine this was disturbing and shocking to the disciples and the Jews that heard this. And so they respond with a follow-up question. In fact, I could dare say this follow-up question was the first hashtag asking for a friend. And so they asked Jesus this question. Take a look with me, Matthew chapter 24, and we'll begin in verse 3. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of age? And Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. 
And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this, will, this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you're, you're, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Hashtag asking for a friend. Is this the end of the world? When will the kingdom be? When will the Son of Man come? And when will the end of the age be? What is a sign of the end? When is the kingdom coming? Now for the disciples and for the Jews, they were worried about this kingdom. They believed that the Messiah was going to usher in a kingdom physically right there. They believed that Rome was going to be overthrown, that Jesus may be the Messiah that will overthrow Rome and set up a kingdom where the Jews will reign. Of course, we know the story. Jesus didn't come to build a physical kingdom yet because no one could enter the physical kingdom without first entering the spiritual kingdom. And so he came to seek and save that which is lost, to bring in all people who come to know him into that kingdom. And so it wasn't just a Jewish kingdom. It was a kingdom that was greater than that. Of course, the Old Testament prophets spoke of this, but many didn't understand it. They didn't see it. And so they're asking a question saying, when is the kingdom going to come? Their hope would be that he would say, now, I'm here. Here it comes. But he doesn't say that. Now, as we look at this, there, there are actually four predominant views about the end times. And I just want to highlight these because I think it's important to understand some of the background as to the lens that we view the answer to this question. When is the end of the age? The answer is, is based upon four different kind of views that we come, lenses that we come to this question with. First of all, there's a, there's a lens called the past view. The, the past view literally means that this was all fulfilled in the past. This was fulfilled during the Roman Empire. It's actually officially called the preterist view. Preterist is a Latin word for past. And some believe this was all fulfilled in the Roman Empire. Now certainly there were some things here that were specific to the Roman Empire. The destruction of the temple. But that all that Jesus is about to say is really about the end. Secondly, there's a view called the historical view. This is the idea that this view uh, this view says that the end times are kind of happening continually in a cycle. That the history of the church is really a history of the tribulation, of Antichrist, of God at work in the lives of his people. Uh, this goes back to the idea that, that some believe that Hitler was an Antichrist, and Saddam Hussein was an Antichrist. And you go back through history, and there were Antichrist, and there were periods of tribulation. And so this historical view says these things are being fulfilled throughout history, throughout church history. And there's this cycle of fulfillment that we see. Thirdly, there is a spiritualistic view. This view believes that this isn't a particular event, but this is a picture of a struggle between good and evil. So this isn't literal, this is really a picture of a cosmic struggle between what is good and what is evil. And in the end, good will win. In the end, God will win. And this struggle has been happening since the fall. And so as we read this, it's all allegorical. It's all spiritualized. 
The, the last view is called the futuristic view. This is a view that all that Jesus is talking about, certainly some may be fulfilled in the present, in Jesus' day, but much of what he's going to project is going to be in the future. Now, can I tell you, this is the view of Crossroads. We believe that the end times is yet to come, that Christ's return is promised. We are futuristic. Now, in the midst of that, there are many different views in the futuristic view. There's something called premillennialism, postmillennialism, millennialism, and then you have subsets of each of those in premillennialism. There's pre-tribulation rapture. There's mid-tribulation rapture. There's post-tribulation rapture. There's all these different ideas, pre-wrath rapture. This is the idea that we believe the church is going to be rapture before the tribulation period comes. All of those views are still futuristic. And there are many great believers that believe different one of these, each different one of these. And there are many scholars that go different directions. So we are futuristic as a church. We believe this is future. Personally, I, I would call myself a pre-trib, pre-millennial believer. I, I think that there's going to be a rapture of the church before the tribulation. Am I willing to die for that fact? Absolutely not. But I think it's the best view that you can find in scripture. I think it's the best explained view. However, there are other views that I highly respect. Here's the point. What I think Jesus does here is he resets the lens. Here's why. For you and I, we're probably not tucked away in some ivory tower reading some commentary about Revelation. No, most of us, we're walking through the daily grind day to day. And one of the questions that I would assume that most of us are asking as we read this scripture is, okay, just tell me when and what are the implications to my life? Jesus here, what's interesting is he doesn't just come out and answer it. Jesus doesn't just give us the when, he gives us the what, the so what. What do we do with the reality that he is going to come again? What do, what do we do with the truth that the end will come? Jesus certainly gives us some answers to the when, but his focus is on the what. Can I tell you why I believe this is before we dive into the text a little bit deeper? I believe that Jesus understands that there are many of us that think if he just says when or if he just describes it the way it is, that we're afraid we're going to miss it. We're afraid that we're going to miss it, that we don't have enough information. And so this is why in these seasons, everybody starts posting something about the end times. It's why in these seasons we begin to look to the sky and the clouds. And there's nothing wrong with that in general. But Jesus takes it one step further and says, this is how you ought to live based upon the truth that this is coming one day no matter what the sign. I want to point out to you actually three warnings that he gives to his followers in this moment. He gives them three warnings. He doesn't just answer their question outright. He warns them and prepares them for the answer. Number one, we have the first warning. That is fallacies will rise. Take a look at what he says, verse four. And Jesus answered them and said, see to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Jesus said there will be many who come and preach a false truth, a false gospel, a false reality. There will be many who come that will lead people astray. We see that in our day. There is a rise in fallacy. There is a rise in falsehood. Throughout history, there has been a rise in, in 
in false teachings. Today in our culture, we have things like, like oneness in belief. We can all believe in something different, and yet it's one. In a Muslim is the same as a Christian, is the same as a Buddhist, is the same as an agnostic, is the same as an atheist. We all just are one. It doesn't work. When two truths, professing truths, contradict, one can't be true. But this is the belief of our day. Is this oneness a belief? Or, or how about preference? Preference is whatever you want. Your lifestyle, your choices, you have preference. Or, or even worse, in the church world, we have a teaching called permissive grace. Permissive grace is the idea that you can do whatever you want because God is gracious. God will accept you. God loves you. And yes, it's true. God is gracious and God is loving. But that doesn't permit us then to live our lives whatever way we want to. And so there are people that will say, I live the way I want in spite of the fact that it is sin. I'll do whatever I want. And these are fallacies that are leading many people astray. We see these fallacies rise in our culture today. We see them in abundance today. Secondly, we see another warning. This warning is that disturbing events will actually intensify. Take a look at what he says in verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, for the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. He says, here's the deal. There are going to be many different disturbing events that are going to come, but it's not going to be the end. See, for many of us, we, we think of the end times like reading the newspaper. Or we read the Bible like reading a newspaper. We look at the newspaper and say, what's happening today? And then we start to read the Bible and say, well, it must be this, and it must be that, and it must be that. I, I saw someone recently that talked about how the coronavirus was actually talked about in the scripture. It's ridiculous. It's not true. What are they doing? They're reading the Bible like it's a newspaper. Today's news has got to be in the Bible. We've got to make it fit. Doesn't work that way. The Bible is not a newspaper. The end times are not, uh, not like reading a newspaper. Many, many people approach it that way. Jesus here says, listen, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilence and natural disasters and there's going to be famines. The, this is not the end, but notice what he calls them. Verse 8. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, I had had the privilege of being with my wife on the birth of multiple of our children. There were a few that were, one that was surgery and I couldn't be in there. It was emergency surgery. But uh, the others, I, were able to, I was able to be there. And can I tell you, there's nothing beautiful about giving birth. It's beautiful that the child is born, but the birthing process is, is not something to be really enjoyed. It's painful. But what happens? Throughout the pregnancy, there are these birthing pains. There's preparation. There are moments of contractions and even some that are false contractions. And they come and they're preparing for that big moment when the baby's going to be born. Jesus here says in the same way, there are going to be wars and rumors of war, famines and pestilence and, and earthquakes and, and natural disasters. Don't read it like a newspaper. Realize these are all birth pains reminding us that there's going to be a birth coming. The end is going to come. This should be a reminder to us. We, we don't read them as signs. We see them as preparation. Preparation for the birth. He says, these disturbing events, they're going to intensify. Just like a birth, they will intensify. 
as the end draws near. Notice what he says next. Warning number three. Not only are disturbing events that will intensify, but hardships will actually increase for God's people. Take a look at what he says, verse 9. It says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. He says here, listen, there's going to be a, a, a rise in an increase in hardship. By the way, the word tribulation there isn't like the great tribulation. It's the word pressure, anxiety. It's, it's the idea that there will be this growth in burden and persecution. I was talking to our, one of our sister churches in Nepal and talking about as they deal with the coronavirus, how there's been even more pressure against the Christians. This is a sign of the end. Now, it's not the end. It's just a sign. These things are going to take place. And throughout history, the last 2,000 years, there has been pressure placed upon Christians. You and I find it even in our own culture where there is now a stiff arm to the reality of the gospel. There is a stiff arm that is growing slowly, that is building up against Christianity. Jesus says here, expect it. Expect it. As the end draws near, hardships will increase. Now, as we go on here in the text, Jesus gives then a little bit more details. We're not going to read it for the sake of time, but he talks about that there's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be the abomination of desolation where the antichrist desolates the temple. There then is going to be uh, a tribulation period. Daniel tells us that tribulation period is about seven years. There's a seven-year period of tribulation. We, we read about that. And so Jesus mentions this and describes this just a little bit in verses 15 through uh, 27, 28. But then we come to verse 29. And this is the pinnacle moment of this, this answer, this question. Take a look at what he says in verse 29. Immediately... After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. We see cosmic disturbance happening at a way, in a way that we've never seen before. This is after that tribulation moment, after that tribulation period, seven-year tribulation. Verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice they, all the people of the earth will see this. Some will even mourn. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. Notice the redemptive part of this. As Christ comes back again, there will be judgment and there will be some who mourn, but he also will come and he will gather his elect from the four winds, from every corner of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other, and he will gather his people, believers, and he will gather them. This is redemptive in nature. Here's what I want you to see about that moment. This is called the second coming of Christ. There will be cosmic chaos. There, there will, it will be public in nature. Everybody will see it. It will be redemptive in form. But here's what I want you to gather. Here's what I want you to get. Notice the focus is not just on the last days. The focus is not on the last days. The focus of all end times prophecy is not on the last days. It's on the last one. It's not on the last days. It's on the one who's coming. It's Jesus. Jesus is the focus of the end time. See, when, when we as Christians see things like a virus, an earthquake, 
a flood, a hurricane. And immediately we turn to the papers and, and we start to try to make notes and connect it to the Bible. We're missing what the end times is all about. It's not about the sign. It's about the person. It's about the one. It's about the last one, Jesus Christ, who will stand above all. It's about the one who came and died and rose again and is coming again. And when he comes, he will come in great glory. He will judge, but he will also redeem. He will redeem all that's been undone. The consummation of the fallen creation. See, I love the fact that when we think about the last days, sometimes we focus so much on the last days we miss what it's all about. And that's why I think Jesus here is very intentional not just to answer the question right away. They asked, when is the sign, uh, will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When are you coming as the king and when is gonna be the end of the age? They were hoping it was gonna be right then. Jesus says, well, I'm not even going to answer it. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And then, after he says this, he comes back to the point, the question. Is this the end of the world? He begins to answer it. When is this going to happen? The completion of salvation, the coming of Jesus. And now, he says, let me give you some answers. Verse 36, here they are. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, there were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two one will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will, left, will be left. Therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect it. What a non-answer that Jesus gives. When is this going to happen, Lord? Is this the end? No one knows the day or the hour but the Father. Jesus, of course, on earth, uh, he was fully God. He was also fully man. And in some form, his submission to the Father allowed him to be able to not understand fully the information yet to be understood. Certainly, when he was ascended, we believe he probably knows the information now of when the coming is there. But while he was on earth, he emptied himself. And part of that was he didn't understand all the information in this moment. Now, certainly he had access to it, but that was part of his own love for us to empty himself of the glory of God, to veil himself behind human flesh. And in this moment, he says, only the Father knows the day or the hour, not even the angels, not even the Son. The Father knows. See, he doesn't want us to focus on the time. He wants us to focus on the moment that we live today. He doesn't want us just to think about the last days. He wants us to live as if the last days are happening. See, that's the whole point of this. His answer is, the last days are closer than you think. Is it the end of the world right now? It's closer than you think. That's what Jesus says. It's at a time you do not expect. Can I be honest? There is nothing else on God's timetable that needs to be fulfilled for this moment to come. This could come at any moment. It could be in our day. It could be in the next generation for 2,000 years. Jesus has a saying, this could be the moment. This could be the moment. Be ready. 
Now, how do we respond? I believe Jesus is calling us to a couple things as to how we ought to live in this moment. A couple things I want to highlight. Number one, in the midst of, of understanding that Jesus is coming in, the end will come, be watchful. Be watchful. I remember when my boys were younger and uh, when we lived in Maryland especially, uh, when I would come home at the end of the day, they would wait by this big bay window and it was one of my favorite parts of the day. I would come home and uh, after a long day, day of work, and, and there would be the boys kind of waiting, all their faces kind of pressed up against this window, ready for me to come in and, and, and wrestle and play and, and have fun. And uh, I, that, that picture is imprinted in my mind of them standing by the window just waiting for me to come home. Allison was telling me, hey, hey dad's going to be home soon. Watch out. And they're ready. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be watchful. Be ready. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There have been many things that I would consider to be near misses in our world, right? We hear about the news of an asteroid that comes close to earth but misses or epidemics in other countries. And then we think our medical system is safe. Our, our natural, disasters, uh, natural disasters take place in other countries, not ne necessarily in ours. Or they directly affect other people, not me. So what happens? Jesus here is reminding us. He is giving us a divine warning that our earth is temporary. He is reminding us that our foundations are faulty. Can I tell you, just a couple months ago, None of us would have imagined a virus, a little microscopic thread that goes into bodies could be creating this much disaster. Nobody would have predicted this just a couple months ago. And yet all of a sudden, our nation has come to a screeching halt. You know why? God is showing us that our world is faulty. Our foundations are faulty. They don't, they don't stand up to time. And what is he saying? He's saying this is a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. Now, is this a part of God's plan? Certainly God uses these moments. The, the, the world that we live in is faulty. It's fallen. The effect of that is, is felt. But God uses it and says, hey, wake up. Remember, these things happen, and when these things happen, it should always remind us the end is coming. It should always remind us that God is coming again. Wake up not just to information and articles, but to Christ. See, the coronavirus is like God's thunderclap to realign our lives with the infinite worth of Christ. This world doesn't matter. This world isn't what it's about. All the foundation of the wor world is shaking. Our family, our health, the country with great prosperity, the state of our, our state-of-the-art medical system, the strong national events, all these things now became shaky. So what happens? God is using it as a thunderclap He's clapping and saying, hey, wake up. What matters is the infinite worth of Christ. That's the image that Jesus is presenting here in this passage. Secondly, not only be watchful, be encouraged. Be, be encouraged. Can I tell you, when we find the, the passages about the end times, you know what's interesting about it? They are meant to be encouraging. I think about 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. It says this. This is the rapture passage. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught together with him to meet in the clouds the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Now watch this. Therefore, encourage 
one another with these words. This is meant to be encouragement. If you're a believer, you don't have to fear. If you're a believer, you don't have to keep looking to the sky. The Lord is coming back. Be encouraged. It may not happen in our lifetime, but every sign, every birth pain is a reminder that our salvation is set, that we've been rescued. I love the way the book of Revelation ends. See, many of us, we think of Revelation and it's written to create confusion for the Christian, cause division in the church, or promote speculation about the coming of Christ, but it's not. The book of Revelation is actually about giving us unshakable hope in suffering, unshakable hope for Christians in the present. And it ends with these words, Revelation 12, uh, 22, verse 17, behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming quickly bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. Then he says, as the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. And then John ends the book of Revelation with this statement by Jesus. Jesus says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John responds, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. See, this shouldn't scare us as Christians. This should encourage us. It is the invitation to come to him. If you're without Christ and you're watching this, you're listening to this, listen, this is the invitation of God. The invitation is come. You can come to him, come to the living water. You can find sustenance for your soul. You can have your sin forgiven and you can be made a new creation. And he can have the confidence that in the day of the end, whether by death or his coming, he says, come. Thirdly, be faithful. Be faithful. If you go back to verse 13, notice what he says. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus here is telling his disciples, listen, this news about the end times should cause us to live faithfully. He who endures to the end. Those who know Christ will endure to the end, so be faithful. Stay the course. Do not give up. By the way, can I tell you something that's interesting? Almost every moral command in the New Testament is connected to the second coming of Christ. Almost every command that's moral, do good, be obedient, don't commit adultery. They, it is connected to this idea of the coming of Christ. You look up almost every command, there's some reference to the coming of Christ in the context. Why? Because it should be motivational to our faithfulness. God, you are coming again. The end of the world will come one day. We want to be found faithful. In fact, right after this, he goes into a parable about faithfulness, about living faithfully in the midst of the end times. And then lastly, be engaged. Be engaged. If you, if you go back to verse 14 of chapter 24, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. The gospel message will go forth. Listen, the work of the gospel cannot be thwarted. Jesus is comforting his disciples by saying the news that they're about ready to share in the midst of great suffering, in the great apostasy, in the great trials, God's mission is not going to be thwarted in the midst of that. God will accomplish his purpose. Even in the darkest moment of all human history, we can be sure that God's purposes will always be accomplished. By the way, can I tell you a little secret? I believe this is why the Lord has not come back yet. 
Yes, he's coming again. Everything that we see, they're birth pains, birth pains, birth pains. They're reminding us, they're intensifying, they're reminding us the end is coming. It may be another thousand years, it may be another 20 years, it could be tomorrow, he's coming again. But you know, I love the fact that I believe that God is waiting because he has more people that he is going to reach with his gospel. See, God knows us and he knows there's still more of us that need the truth of the gospel. That's why as a church, I love our church that we are engaged in bringing that gospel to people. We are engaged to bringing that gospel, taking that gospel to the end of the earth. Why? Because God hasn't come back yet. There's still a mission to be accomplished. God is still using us in great ways. You know, there's so much more we could talk about with this topic. Is it the end of the world? I don't know. Is it the end of the world? Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour but the Father. But live like it. Live like it. I I love the way John Calvin describes it. He says, he was talking about death actually and suffering. And and he wrote a letter to this lady uh, who was suffering greatly. And it was a pastor's wife. And he talked about the fact that since there are these messengers of death that are surrounding her, he says, we ought to learn to have one foot raised to take our departure when it shall please God. Or Charles Spurgeon, I love the way he describes it. He says, the hour of his appearing, of Jesus appearing, is not revealed in order that we might always stand on the tiptoes of our lives, expecting it today. Like a kid looking over a wall. We're on our tiptoes and we're saying, is it today? Is it today? And we're not just reading the newspaper. We're not just looking at all the news. We're not just trying to connect the signs. We're living as if he's coming again. We're living as if the end is near. We are watchful, we are encouraged, we're faithful, and we're engaged in the mission to take the message of the gospel to the world. Are you living on your tiptoes? Are you living with one foot in the air ready? Are you living your life accomplishing the call of Jesus to take the gospel forth to a people that haven't heard it? If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're watching, you don't know Christ. Listen, would you just right now to the host say, can I talk to you and go into live prayer and there's somebody ready to talk to you, ready to pray with you. You can know Christ. The end of the world does not have to be something you fear. It's something that you, you can be encouraging and comforting when you know Christ. Are you living the way you should live? If you're a believer, are you living on your tiptoes with your leg in the air? Or are you looking at all these signs and trying to figure that out? Or are you living faithfully? Would you bow with me as we pray? God, I want to thank you that even on this day where we remember your death and resurrection by partaking of the elements of communion, God, we thank you that we're reminded, as you said in that upper room, that one day we will partake of this with you in the kingdom. That, Lord, one day we're going to sit with you and we're going to remember your body that was broken. We're going to remember your blood that was spilled. And we're going to remember all that you said that will be true. God, right now in our world, there are many people that are looking for signs. They're looking for an answer. God, they wonder, is this the end of the world? Is this the moment? Is this the time? God, I pray instead of looking for the signs, we look for you. Instead of just looking for more information and more articles, and more experts, would we seek you? Would we live watchfully on our tiptoes, 
Would we live with one foot in the air faithfully? Would we be encouraged by these words to know there will be an end and it will be glorious for we who know you? God, would this be a warning to those that do not know you? A warning that today could be the day of their salvation. They don't have to wait. You are going to come again and there will be judgment. You will have the last word. And would today be the day of their salvation? God, we thank you, we praise you for your goodness. In your name, Jesus, our Savior, our coming one, our King, amen.